Well, you know how last week uh, Pastor Doug talked about this spiritual war around us and we shouldn't discount uh, the reality of the spiritual realm? Well, this week was uh, an interesting one for me, to say the least. I, I started my sermon last Sunday uh, after, after church in my office, just reading through the passage for today, praying, just kind of being before the Lord. And then I started writing on Monday. And I wasn't sure at first where God was taking us or what he wanted for us. And then it hit me. He wanted for us today uh, to talk about suffering. And so I got after it, and then I received a message from Natalie saying, Tim's not doing so well. This might be his last day. So I headed over and I spent some time uh, with Tim as he laid in bed surrounded by friends and family. And then I got back to it on Tuesday. I got got working again early Tuesday morning on my sermon. I jumped back in. And then I received a text message from Gary Friesen that Tim had passed away. And then Wednesday morning, you know, you're writing this sermon and these things are happening around you. Uh, and it's, you know, life doesn't just stop uh, for you when you're, when you're preparing for a message. And so Wednesday morning, I jump back in again, and, and I'm trying to think clearly on this stuff. And uh, I'm in my office over here, and, and we typically keep that, um, the, the glass door here locked, and, and we have it unlocked on the other end for people to come through. And there's this banging on the window of my office. And when I'm ready my sermon, I shut all the blinds, and you know, I kind of hunker in a bit. I'm going, okay, what's going on up there? So I, I go out and there's this gentleman and uh, he was very cold, he was hungry, he was very clearly struggling. And I told God, you know what, God, I don't have time for this man today. I have a sermon to write. And all I heard back from God was, too bad. <laughs> you know, too bad. Go sit with him. So for two and a half hours, I sat and I tried my best to help him out. And Tammy came and, and sat with us as well and helped, which I was really grateful for. And uh, yeah, I just prayed and, and sat with this guy, talked with him for a while. Thursday morning, I'm at uh, the gym at my early morning workout. And one of the members comes and asks, what do you preach? Or are you preaching this week? I said, yes, we'd love to have you. And she was very excited and said, oh, yeah, that would be great. What are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on suffering. And she said, I'm not coming. <laughs> okay. Thursday morning after that, I, I start work at 7 a.m. On, on Thursdays so I can pick up the kids from school at 3. And I was ready to go. And, and the kids were just having a little bit of a difficult time. And there was some, some tears and a bit of fighting, and I knew, well, this probably isn't the greatest time to leave the house. So we all stopped and we came together, and, and Shane actually prayed over our family while the kids were a little teary-eyed, and, and uh, we went from there. And then 
At noon, Shana called and said, Nora's sick and, and she needs to be picked up from school. So I went and I got her and, and came home, uh, which just meant that I'd have to come and continue on in, in my sermon for the weekend. Um, and then this morning, I'm in bed and my wife comes in with a nice hot cup of coffee. Uh, pretty nice, eh? And she brings a, I'm, I'm awake, she brings the coffee, so I'm having this coffee. And uh, I would like to say I was just sitting there praying, but I was on my phone. And, uh, and I was texting with Eric, Mose. And so I said, yeah, Eric, how's the renovations? How's your home? He's like, well, it's, you know, it's pretty well done, but we're, we're pretty cold over here in Greenwood. And uh, he said, but we're pretty hardy. And I said, not me, I am soft. I'm soft as they come, and I'm sitting in my bed with my hot cup of coffee, and we're in the basement now, and the furnace is right at my feet, just blasting in this nice hot air. And then Eric says, so what are you preaching on today? And I, <laughs> I said, I'm preaching on suffering. <laughs> and he says, well, isn't that ironic? The guy who's not suffering is going to tell us about suffering today. So, there you have it. So, is this all spiritual warf warfare? No, but it certainly is God speaking. God was speaking a lot to me this week. You know, I didn't want to write this sermon. I wanted to write the sermon that's focused only on the happily ever after part. But you can't get to that part, you can't get to happily ever after without going through the conflict. And there's not a single good story ever told, ever written, where the characters didn't experience conflict and a bit of suffering. So today we're, we're talking about the conflict, we're talking about the struggle, we're going to talk about the suffering. Aren't you glad you came to church today? The problem before us is that we all will or already have experienced suffering. So what do we do with it? What is the solution to the pain and suffering? And I think the passage has some help for us today. So I'm going to invite Ed Trainer uh, to come up and to read uh, God's word for us this morning. Good. We're reading from uh, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by crowds. A woman in the crowd suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt the healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of them. The whole crowd heard her explain 
why she had touched him and that she had immediately been healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except for Peter, John, and James, the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. May the Lord had his blessing to the reading of his word. So within the passage today, we've got these two individuals who are experiencing suffering. One is experiencing suffering from a, a physical ailment, which also left her on the outside of, of community, and the other experiencing emotional, having lost his daughter. You know, near, nearly everyone in this room can relate uh, to physical pain, I'm sure, being excluded or left out of community, or the pain of losing a loved one. You know, the scale and scope of, of suffering is huge. To deny pain and suffering is, is really to deny reality. As, uh, as Wesley said in The Princess Bride, life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling something. There's no getting around pain and grief in this life. So what do we do with it? And I want to be clear that for those of you here today who are experiencing any of that pain, I'm not trying to minimize or explain away your problems. Sometimes when pain and, and suffering is raw, it can be hard to hear people talk about it. I found this quote uh, from Eugene Peterson that says, suffering attracts fixers the way roadkills attract vultures. I'm like, oh, that can be true. So I'm not trying to, to fix anything, nor do I have all the answers in a single sermon. But I will say that I, I pray for you all each week. Uh, we go through names, and I, I think of you, I'm praying for you. And, and the pain that you're experiencing should never be walked through alone. And hopefully we can walk together through it. So the woman in our story has been suffering for 12 years. She had been pursuing help, but had found nothing. And in utter desperation, perhaps, it looks like a bit of a last-ditch effort. She hopes to find some healing through Jesus, but she seems pretty confident. In Mark's uh, telling of this story, it says, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And she was healed. She was relieved from her pain. She was welcomed back into community. And then Jairus comes perhaps in a similar way. He was a ruler 
at the synagogue, and we don't know for certain where he landed uh, when it came to Jesus and who Jesus said he was. But at this point, it seems that he believes, or at the very least, he's desperate enough to fall at the feet of Jesus and cry out for help. And both characters in the story were, were healed and likely received salvation and relationship with Jesus. The woman healed of physical suffering and reinstituted into community, and Jairus receiving back his daughter from death. The conflict they both experience ends in a celebration. But what about the times when Jesus doesn't relieve our pain? What about the times when we watch our loved ones being lowered into the ground? Or when the doctors say, all that we can do for you now is pain management. This is going to be lifelong and will only get worse over time. What about all the people that Jesus didn't heal while he was on earth? The answer to these questions and, and ultimately the question of how to walk through suffering is faith. In all situations we face, we are asked to exercise faith. The NIV application commentary says this, Faith should seize the initiative to act in dependence on God and speak about him, yet sometimes it must be patient. In one sense, faith is full speed ahead, while in another it is waiting on the Lord. Our lives require a vibrant faith applied to the affairs of life, but it also requires a patient waiting on the Lord, for the Father does know best. I really like that last line. Our lives require a vibrant faith applied to the affairs of life, but it also requires a patient waiting on the Lord, for the Father does know best. It is an act of faith to cry out for help to God. And once we have cried out, it is at that moment when our faith can be strengthened. There are three other characters in Scripture worth mentioning. There's many more, but... There's three worth mentioning this morning when it comes to suffering. Uh, the first is Haman, the author of Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 and 39 are the only psalms that end in utter despair with no future hope. And I actually read a bit of that uh, the last time I preached. Um, and so I'm going to read it, just the ending again. Psalm 88 says, But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So it's a pretty raw and pretty bleak passage. Then we also have Joseph, who got a pretty raw deal. You know, he was nearly killed by his older brothers, but instead he was sold into slavery, and he's working hard for his master Potiphar. But Potiphar's wife, obviously, wasn't satisfied by her husband, so she makes moves repeatedly on Joseph and finally wrongfully accuses him of coming on to her. So then he's thrown into prison. He then makes his way up the ranks in prison, and he's called upon to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, 
which in the end lands him a gig as the second in command. And then, of course, Job. In the book of Job, Satan shows up to talk to God, and God tells him, no one is like Job. And Satan says, yeah, only because your relationship with him is transactional. It's only because Job has a comfy, wealthy life. He's got hot coffee and a furnace in the morning. (laughs) But then Job loses everything, and his wife is still alive, but she gives him terrible advice and leaves. Then his friends come, and they offer no help. And in the end, God shows up and talks it through with Job and eventually restores him. And if you look at these characters, it's easy to say of each of them that what they experienced was unfair. Joseph seemingly did nothing wrong. Job was a righteous man. Why did they have to suffer like this? And these questions are valid if we assume that a relationship with God is transactional. What if Satan came to God and said the same thing about us as he did Job? You know, these Canadian Christians are faithful because you've been so good to them. Put them through some trouble and let's see what they're really made of. Sure, Ben is blameless and upright, but put him through some trials and see, does he really love you for who you are or for what you do for him? And if we are honest on some level, this might be true for for most of us. So here's the crux. The amazing thing about these characters, Job, Joseph, the woman, uh, Jairus, they, they never turned away from God. They still came before him. Even Psalm 88, this cry out to the Lord, this, this really interesting prayer, they're still coming before the Lord. They didn't give up and they, they didn't quit. They fell at his feet and they cried out, Don't you care? Are you still there? I have nowhere else to go. You are my only hope. These characters decided to stay with God even if they were getting nothing out of it. Or seemingly. When you go through suffering, if you don't feel God, uh, if you don't feel God's there, and you hold on anyway, that is faith. What you are saying is, you are God, I'm not, and I'm still going to turn to the word, I'm going to love my family, I'm going to be present in the church with the saints, and I'm going to worship, and so on and so forth. It is though, through this time, that shapes your faith, and will turn you into a person of endurance, stability, and greatness. True faith is crying out to God and continuing regardless of the answer. And this was the conclusion C.S. Lewis came to in his book, A Grief Observed. I read through this book this week, and it's a really interesting one if you haven't read it. But this book outlines C.S. Lewis's journey after his wife of four years dies of cancer. And his argument is that we can read all we want in scriptures and books about grief and about loss and faith, but we won't know our faith until we actually use it. It's one thing, he talks about this, it's one thing to say the rope is strong. This is a really strong, reliable rope. But it's another thing to actually have to use the rope to scale the mountain or cross the depths and to rely on the rope. Faith is shaped in the suffering. 
Charles Blondin was a, a famous tightrope walker. Uh, he's best known for his crossings over Niagara Falls. 1,100 feet in length, suspended 160 feet above Niagara. His act would be watched by large crowds and would begin with a relatively simple crossing using the balancing pole. Then he would throw the pole away and cross without it. He also crossed it on stilts. It's hard for me to believe, but we're gonna assume it's true. There's pictures, but I don't know, AI these days, anything could be true. Uh, but he crossed in stilts. He crossed blindfolded. And another time, apparently, he crossed and halfway he stopped and cooked an omelet and ate it and then continued on. And in 1860, a royal party from England came to watch him, and after his normal spectacular crossing, crossings, he then tried something new. He crossed over with a wheelbarrow. So one side to the other. Then he put a sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow, and he went there and back. Then he asked the Duke of Newcastle, who came to see him, do you believe that I could take a man across the tightrope in this wheelbarrow? And the Duke said, of course you can, of course. And said, great, okay, hop on in. <laughs> so the crowd fell silent, and he refused. He did not get in. So Blondin looked at the crowd and asked if anyone else would be willing to volunteer, and nobody would. It was silent. Eventually, an old woman stepped out of the crowd and climbed into the wheelbarrow. Blondin wheeled her all the way across and all the way back. And the old woman was Blondin's mother, the only person willing to put her life in his hands. I believe God is good and loving and powerful, but will I still believe all these things in the middle of deep, dark, heart-wrenching suffering? If you want to build uh, muscles, you have to put them through this process where they actually have microscopic tears. It's really interesting. The body rebuilds its muscles after you do this, it increases, and so on and so forth. So needless to say, if you haven't experienced this, exercise and, and weightlifting, strength training is a lot of work. It could be a bit painful. And when I coach my, my CrossFit classes in the week, I always do the workout beforehand. I've always done it myself, so I know exactly what I'm putting these people through. <laughs> I know how it feels, I know what they're about to experience. I've been tested, it's real to me. The strength of a rope can be talked about, but only proven if used. And you know, in many ways, I, I joke about this at the beginning of the sermon, but in many ways, I am probably actually least qualified to preach this sermon today. I look out uh, on this congregation and I see these faces and these stories that I know that you have been walking through some tremendous suffering. Uh, I'm so grateful Matt's here today with his family. And, uh, and you know, we've been praying for you guys and, and praying for your family. But I don't know personally how it feels. Um, you know, Matt's probably more qualified to preach a little bit about this. Um, but you can stay there. It's okay. <laughs> um, you know, we, we can talk all we want about suffering and faith. But until we experience it, 
we, we just can't fully know or understand it. And this is why church is so important. This is why we need one another, because whatever it is you're walking through today, I bet there's someone else in this room who has walked that path too, or at least something similar. Again, Peterson says, pity can be nearsighted and condescending, but shared suffering can be dignifying and life-changing. So what do we do now before we experience suffering, or what do we do when it hits us? Is it enough to say that in grief and suffering, all we can do is embrace it and accept it and move on the best we can? Do I fall prey to the same problem if I come up here and I tell you, just like Job's friends, how to deal with suffering and how to deal with loss and all these things in your life? The biggest hurdle through suffering perhaps is not questioning if God exists, but if God is still good. And in both A Grief Observed and The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis's main argument, his thesis, and the answer to the question throughout is that God can use pain to mold us, to make us into who we each were made to be. This is God's love. And it is in this, Lewis argues, that we can start to give a response to the problem of pain. So friends, I don't have all the answers for you. I don't have the answers to these questions, but until my last day here on staff as your pastor, I will continually point you back to Jesus. If that's, if that's nothing else I've done for you, I will keep doing that. Just like the woman did, just like Jairus did, they came to Jesus and they came to his feet. And we fall at the feet of Jesus in utter desperation. We acknowledge that he is Lord, he is Savior, and we are not, and regardless of what happens or what we go through, we will hang on anyway. To be able to walk through suffering, you must know who Jesus is. Jesus has the power, as we've seen through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has the power over the world, over the flesh, over the devil. He has power over death. Jesus is all we have he is more than we need, and we need him desperately. And Christ understands your suffering better than anyone. We don't need Jesus only when nothing else works. We need him for every aspect of our lives, in the good and in the bad. And just like the woman in the story, Jesus looks at you, and he calls you son. He calls you daughter. It's very significant in this passage that Jesus says daughter. This reinstating of, of her place in the community. He gives identity. He is not passive about you. Jesus calls, let there be light. Lazarus, come forth. Daughter, come back to me. Little girl, arise. And he's calling you today with that same power. He sees you in your suffering. And one day, one day, at the end of all this, he'll call us all again. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One of the questions that we often ask during this deep pain and the suffering is why? Why, God? And again, you're off to a good start if, if you're asking that question, if you're still coming to God. This question of why God allows for suffering, pain, and evil is not an easy one to answer because on some level we may not fully know or understand. However, the answer cannot be that God is indifferent because he sent his only son to come and suffer for us all. Darkness came across the land. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus got that total darkness. We never have. Jesus did it for us, and we never will have to if we embrace that relationship with him. And Jesus experienced darkness and is right there with you in your own darkness. Tim Keller says this, if we again ask the question, why does God allow for evil and suffering to continue, and we look at the cross of Jesus, we still do not know what the answer is. However, we know now, we now know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. So if we embrace the Christian teaching that Jesus is God and that he went to the cross, then we have deep consolation and strength to face the brutal realities of life on earth. We can know that God is truly Emmanuel, God with us, even in our worst sufferings. The reality is that we can be in darkness for a long time, even longer than the woman in the story who suffered for 12 years. True Christianity is upfront about this. It's realistic. Following Christ means that suffering might not lift. You may have one thing after another. Life isn't fair. We remind our kids about this all the time. You know, kids say this a lot, right? It's not fair. It's not fair that this or that or the other thing. And you're like, you got it. That's right. It's not fair. Move on. <laughs> Easy to say as the parent. John 16 says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I just don't get the prosperity gospel. I don't know how people, it just baffles me. You will have tribulation. It literally says it in the Bible. <laughs> okay, anyway. Eugene Peterson says this, we don't become mature human beings by getting lucky or cleverly circumventing loss, and certainly not by avoidance and distraction. Learn to lament. Boy, we don't do that a lot, I don't think. We're mortals, after all. We and everyone around us are scheduled for death. Get used to it. Take up your cross. It prepares us and those around us for resurrection. Those are hard words, but they're true. And I would be remiss if we don't quote Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Frodo says this, I wish it need not have happened in my time. 
So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Even in the suffering, God still pursues us and doesn't give up on us. God's grace is larger than my doubts and frustrations when I'm suffering. I am your God, not because you are happy, sing the right songs, make things look good. I am your God because I am a God of grace. We learn most about God's grace in dark times. And how do the stories of Job and Joseph end? They end with a banquet, they end with a party. And we may be facing hardships, but we know the ending. If I don't fully understand the suffering, the loss, and the pain, and the evil, I'm at least grateful that God has revealed the end to me. I know that at least in all of this, there is hope for the future. And so I'm going to end our message this morning with Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear, And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. At the end it says, He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your goodness. And thank you that even when it's hard and when we're suffering and life just sucks and it's not fair or it doesn't seem fair, we know that <laughs> it's not fair that we got grace given to us and mercy and that forgiveness. And we are just so grateful for that. And Father, as I know, many people here are just struggling, and us as a church family, having lost three members of our church in the last three weeks, that it could just be hard. But I thank you that you meet us in those hard times, that you're there with us in our suffering, and you don't leave us. And even though it feels like it sometimes, we know that we can trust in your word and we know that we can rely on it. So I do pray, especially for those here today who are really struggling, really suffering through difficult things, whether it's losing loved ones, whether it's 
physical or anything else, Lord, we just pray for them and, and just pray that you are near, uh, that you make your presence known, that you remind them of who you are and who we are in you. So, Father, we thank you for that, and we just pray that you go with us in this. In Christ's name, amen.